This is the Death Dialogues Project podcast. I'm your host, Becky Odd-Jennison, licensed clinical professional counselor, therapist gone rogue, you might say. I'm a U.S. expat living in New Zealand since 2011. Death has had its way with me professionally for years and more recently, very personally. You're probably here because you've danced with death as well. I get it. This grassroots project began with the intention of meeting at the crossroads of art and social action and meaningful connection and the stories we all hold. You can go to www.deathdialogues.net and find out more about the project, our productions, and how it interfaces with the arts and where to follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. This project exists on the smell of an oily rag, as the Kiwis like to say. We have zero funding. And what's really important a project like this is word of mouth. If you like what you hear here, please share it with your friends. And if you'd like to contribute to this podcast and project financially, hey, let's talk. We'd love to see it graduate from a labor of love to a supported entity. We're glad you found us, and we sure hope you stick around. We're back, and thanks for being here with us. This is Becky from the Death Dialogues Project. Life led to a hiatus, and now as we emerge from that break, I realize it has been a year since we began the Death Dialogues Project podcast. I want to thank you all for the support you've shown this project. And thank you to all of you who have opened up your hearts and shared your stories here. They have meant so much to me and our audience. We have such positive feedback about the impact that it's made by you sharing your stories. So part of me pondered over this break, should we be going for a more produced and polished effect for season two? But unequivocally, when I spoke with others about it, there was a resounding no. One of the things that people relate to about our podcast is the realness, the spontaneous openness in our conversations. So today I'm going to briefly revisit how the Death Dialogues Project came to be and then share a recent obsession. So it's apropos that today I am recording on the second anniversary of my mother's death. Mom lived with us in New Zealand her last two years of life and During that time, my brother died of brain cancer. That will be three years ago in January. And both mom and Max, my brother, were my champions and thought I could do anything. Bless them. And about six months after my brother died, I began preparation to stage the Vagina Monologues for V-Day. And if you aren't familiar with the Vagina Monologues, it's a 22-year-old play written by E. Vinsler. And that was based on interviews with over 250 women about you guessed it, their vaginas. A verbatim piece of theater was born using the exact words from the interviews, and it won rave reviews, and it gave birth to the V-Day movement, where every February, activists worldwide protest violence against women and children. Staging the vagina monologues is one of the ways to implement that protest in your community, and I will put in a plug here. We are doing that again in February 2020 in Fongeray. You can find our Facebook page, V-Day Fongeray. 
So as if I didn't know, vagina is a word that not everyone loves to hear or see plastered on a flyer in their place of business. I mean, shockingly so. So after so intimately walking with death along with my brother and my mother was fading fast, the thought occurred, we need to do this with death. We need to get the topic of death out of the closet. People certainly shy away from the word death as much as they do the word vagina. We need to normalize conversations. It wasn't a new concept to me. Working as a nurse and then a psychotherapist, I'd professionally interfaced with death a lot and made a mission of attempting to help doctors and other professionals reframe death from a failure to an inevitability. And to do that, it became clear that said professionals must first come to terms with their own intimate relationship with death. I also was intimate with the dying process in nursing homes and hospitals, and I was a person holding hands with that person or sacredly taking care of a dead body, which was certainly not the norm back in the 80s. As a therapist, I'd worked with individuals who were dying, conducting a beautiful intervention called Dignity Therapy, which had me sitting with them while they answered 10 questions. Those answers would be turned into a narrative document that would be given to do with as they wished. I would meet with them and read the document with them, and this was the most powerful work I've ever done under the guise of therapy and the most appreciated by the clients. They absolutely loved the entire process. Honoring people's feelings and stories at the end of life is big, important work. Please make an effort to do that yourself as you can. I guarantee you, people are hungry for the experience of process and we crawling and therefore reminding themselves their lives have not been in vain. And yes, sometimes messy stuff from one's life does come up to be sorted through, and that's something to make space for as well. So I immediately envision my brother planting that seed for the Death Dialogues Project within my heart. It was exactly the type of mission that he would have likely pursued had the roles been reversed. So initially, the mission was only to conduct interviews and create a production, a verbatim piece of theater. But as most divinely spawned things do, the mission has morphed. We have a Facebook page where resources and really fascinating articles are shared regarding death. We have a presence on Instagram. We have produced two stagings that were extremely well received, as well as a workshop surrounding death. In fact, you can go to www.deathdialogues.net and you can see the amazing feedback about those if you'd like. And a year ago, I had a lovely intern, Svenja, who was with me for three months. And early in her stint, she said, you know, my generation doesn't read blogs so much anymore. We listen to podcasts. Others had suggested a podcast before, but when I looked into it, it was just too overwhelming for this non-millennial. So I said, you find me a super simple platform and I'm happy to give it a go. And I kid you not, 10 minutes later, she handed me my phone with a very simple platform on it. And here we are, the rest is history. So I'm at a place in my life where I'm not making many promises that are going to add undue stress. So I don't promise that the episodes will be out at an exact interval, but on average they were weekly for the first season. 
please, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so you will get our episodes as soon as they come out. And we usually do announce new episodes on Facebook and Instagram as well. We have a great lineup forming for this coming season, and I'm more than happy to hear from you if you have a story to share. Just email me at deathdialogues at gmail.com. So actually, the season break or hiatus was heralded by me being very unwell, having enough of a health scare that it was shining a different lens on the topic of death for me. And through it all, I kept a positive framework about it because my intimate relationship with death had taught me to do so. If it was my time to go on that journey, then so be it. Who was I to be exempt when the world is full of people having far more premature deaths? But in fact, I came out the other side with clear pathology and renewed energy because clearly the thing they took out of my body had been making me very unwell. And what the experience did was renew an epiphany I had had on my last birthday. And I'm now going to share with you what I wrote on that day back in April of this year. This is about the obsession I led into earlier. So here we go. Today is my birthday. The lead up was exciting as this heart-centered work we are doing with the project was given to the community last week to very sweet feedback. This morning, I wake up and the first thing I read is this gorgeous poem that resonated so much. It's called The House of Belonging. I woke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that, thinking for a moment it was one day like any other, but the veil had gone from my darkened heart and I thought, it must have been the quiet candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the first easy rhythm with which I breathed myself to sleep. It must have been the prayer I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is the good day you could meet your love. This is the gray day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realize how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close, grain cedar burning around me like fire, and all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of life that the sun had made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things that has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness, and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. And that is from the book, The House of Belonging, poems by David White. So as I then sat outside listening to some Zen tunes that were new to me and doing a little yoga practice, the thought came to me, my life in thirds. Turning 58 today, you could reckon that if I don't exit prematurely, I could have now ticked off the first two thirds of my life. A large part of the first third of my life rested in trauma. Thankfully, throughout that childhood and other traumas that would have visit, I had a discernment, enough of one to keep me from totally going down the rabbit hole of hopelessness. I could see people and situations for what they were, and I didn't own them. I still suffered because of them, but thankfully, I didn't go to the place of such difficult return, blaming myself. 
That first third then saw me through intense studies while giving birth to and nursing my three wee soulmates and proceeding with the struggle that we all have, negotiating that terrain in a way that we hope upon hope won't cause harm to our children. And it wasn't an easy dance. And the middle third, which one would argue I might not be quite out of, I've found myself doing much exploration and attempting to follow the map of, quote, right for me in mind. Arguably, that required a huge amount of time in my head and going over the checklists of right. All the while, I've attempted to keep my focus on my connection to the divine and open to magic, but it isn't always easy when we are working on being a parent bee, a partner bee, and a worker bee. When do we get to just be? Sometimes during those first two-thirds of our lives, it seems that the time of our lives is fleeting. Last week, I went to a medium with one of the cast, and she would only see one of us, and my friend pushed me in. This isn't something I've considered all throughout time. Oh, I lie. I've considered it plenty, but haven't invested in it much. The reading was simply magical, like major details of my life and love's verbatim. And within that was the confirmation that I'm in the right place, physically and metaphysically and geographically, and affirming message regarding the lives of all of our kids and how personally things will open further to me. And I've been realizing for quite some time, this third of life that I'm on the precipice of is one of immense opening for me. There's more time. There's more space. My head space is letting go of the mother's list that clung so tightly to my brain. It will always be there to an extent, but it has served its purpose and may now resign to the background. And that's all I really wanted to say. Yep, I get it. I might be hit by a bus tomorrow. I know no one can predict the dimensions of one's life and death. However, developmentally, this vibe that I've written feels right for me. And I look forward to being conscious of this final third and working hard at hearing my own voice and following my divine direction. The end. So yeah, I'm more discerning than I've ever been in my life and attributing it to mindfully walking into the final third, or as my best friend calls it, the finest third. How have I started down the path? I'm asking less permission. Going solo when it feels like the right choice, guiltlessly. Having adventures and going in directions that others may not be interested in because it feels right for me. Wow, that's big stuff just saying that. When you've lived a life where you've acquiesced to others' needs for most of it, mind you, because that's what love and parenting and society expected of you, boldly embracing the final third can make your knees a bit wobbly. Reaching for myself, fully cognizant that our time on this planet is numbered, and if there was ever a time for me to pause and ask myself what I want and need, it is now. So maybe I'll form a little hashtag, the final third, for the posts I put up that are examples of me doing me mindfully. And maybe you're in the middle third, or like me, heading to the final third, or well into your final third. In all likelihood, you are here because loss and grief had its way with you. Maybe you'd like to consider joining me and being a bit more discerning about what you want and what you're doing with your one wild and precious life. Hey, 
Thanks so much for being here as we kick off season two. And please stay tuned as our new episodes come rolling in. Take good care. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.